SEO this week. Welcome everyone to episode 198. As you know, I took last week off. Just, hey, everyone needs a break, really. And I had a lot of stuff to do. Um, still do. <laughs> uh, this week, got to do taxes, do some gardening stuff, and uh, client work. So, you know, that's how it is. You got to make time for life sometimes. And so, we skipped a week. I hope you guys don't mind. But the count's legit. So, we're still 198. Well, as legit as I want to admit, it is legit. <laughs> um, with that, let's get, uh, I got some stories and stuff, and I think that it are um, pretty good. I think you guys will get some enjoyment out of them. There's a couple things in here in this data set that, um, <laughs> data set, because one of the articles is about data, uh, in this set of articles, it'll just get your your brain going, and then there's some things to look at. Is um you know, it'll just kind of help you out and, and to to address some issues. Uh, one particular one is really cool. It's uh, lazy loading and how some of the software you might be doing it is actually um, setting you up for your pages or more specifically your images to not index because Google can't see them because they're lazy loaded, uh, which is rather interesting. Uh, as always, I monitor the chat. We have the live chat here. You can see it. Hey, Alex. Hey, Ashan. Welcome to both of you. I'm sure there's more people on. If you're all watching, uh, welcome. Uh, if you're on the Apple, thank you for joining or Spotify or whatever. I appreciate all of you. If you could, if you're on the YouTubes, hit the uh, subscribe button, the bell notification, and the thumbs up or thumbs down. Engagement's engagement, and whether you like it or you think I suck, it doesn't matter. I need to know, right? Um, and that helps uh, get uh, the YouTubes to show us off a little bit more. Um, but with that being said, let's get ready with the articles. What do you, what do you guys say? Hey, James. Welcome. Uh, and there's Everhart. Awesome. Cool. The old faithful crew is here. <laughs> All right. So the news stories. As always, you can find the uh, links on digitalear.com. SEO this week slash episode 198. The easiest way, just click blog and then go to the latest thing in the recent, most recent post. And typically it's SEO this week. So that's the easiest thing. Or you can Google SEO this week and find me there too. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, let's get uh, going. And I don't know how many times I'm going to say it with that being said, but just for one more time. With that being said, let's look at another one. Uh, first article is from Craig Campbell. Uh, you know, like, or love him or hate him from uh, SEM Rush. He's got a YouTube channel. Uh, he's on Facebook. He's does a lot of YouTube stuff. Uh, and he does some talking, et cetera, et cetera, or speeches or presentations when we can actually do those kind of things. And he is from Glasgow. So if you ever want to make fun of Craig or just have a good joke, on his behalf, just go ask him to say nanomites. If you're a GI Joe movie watcher, then you'll get the um, you'll get the reference, and it's actually pretty cool listening to him say nanomites. <laughs> anyway, how to set up an outreach campaign for link building? As you all know, outreach is article marketing, is guest posting, is outreach. Uh, it's all the same crap. Essentially, you reach out to a another website. Uh, owner and you ask, hey, can I write an article uh, for your website? Here's the topics. Here's some of the other places that I've written for. 
in exchange for a backlink. And more than likely nowadays, they're, they're not even saying in exchange for a backlink. Just kind of given. If you want to write an article for a website, then typically you're going to get something out of it, and that something is more than likely than not going to be a backlink. Uh, which is article marketing. It's the same thing we used to do in article marketing. The only difference is there's a lot, a lot of times article marketing was based off our article directories. Uh, and then the private blog networks came up and the article marketing turned into guest posting because it's not a private blog network. It's a real money site and I'm making real money from it. Um, and that money typically is from selling guest posts on that, on that website. Nothing wrong with that model. Nothing at all. If you own a private blog network and you can't keep content on it and people aren't buying links from you and you're just using it for yourself and you have it sitting there and that's an asset and they want to write an article about the topic that your website or your private blog network uh, ranks for, then why not charge 25 50 bucks to get it on there? At least monetize it in some way and get it paying for itself. Totally nothing wrong with that as long as you're saying that's what you're doing, right? As long as you're clear with the seller, hey, you're buying PBNs. This is essentially this is my PBN. You're buying a PBN link, just so you know. Uh, and if you're clear with them, then they still buy, pay from you. Then good on you, right? Uh, this campaign here, and Craig gives you actually, you know, the definitions, walking through, and all that stuff. And I just gave you the nice short version. Actually, comes with some templates uh, for email outreach. Uh, and then there's some other ideas down at the bottom of the post uh, of what you can do inside of your your email to increase your success. And you got to be creative because outreach is no longer um, what it used to be. The spammers, uh, you know, the Nigerians are gone and the Indians are here is, is kind of the, the way it is in our marketplace. Um, and so you'll get, you know, 30, 40 requests for guest posts. Uh, or you'll get the same amount of requests, uh, social media, any pretty much any of the social media channels for people selling guest posts. And so you have to get through all that noise when you're doing your emails. So you have to be creative with your titles and with your opening paragraphs uh, or sentences, depending on how you write, uh, to make this actually worthwhile. Another thing that he outlines in here is uh, how that you shouldn't be doing this with tools, that you should be doing this manually because tools increases, while it, tools increase your reach, it also decreases your success rate because you inevitably get a little bit lazy uh, and end up requesting um, generically and you sound just like everyone else uh, that is spamming for a link. So, this is a, it's a really good perspective on this. If you've never done outreach before, um, check this out. Really, at, at the end of the day, you could probably build a list of, say, 30 websites you want to link from, um, create 10 articles, just already have them done for ease of use, um, give them the, those 30 websites, those 10 article titles, this is what you're going to write about, and then email that out, and maybe depending on your your success rate, you can get you know two to ten of those sites that will accept. Uh, it, from there, you do that for every page that you want to rank, and there's just ten links right off the bat, and you save yourself. You know, it's just some money, right? It's a little bit of article writing. Um, and saving yourself a lot of headaches, and you can do that at scale. Um, just being being smart about it, but 
if for me, my definition of scale is if I'm doing more than 200 emails, I probably something's going wrong and my filtering and my uh, site selection is bad. So, um, but you know, you can do that uh, for 30 to 50 for each post that you write and just keep going until you get your 30 to 50 links for each, um, each website. And generally with the, uh, your site selection, your anchor text selection, and your uh, tiering process behind those links will actually be well more than enough to compete in pretty much uh, all the markets these days, especially for medium to low competition. Higher competition stuff, you're going to need a little bit more. But for the most part, I think you are. This is a the outreach is something that you should be looking at if you're not doing it already. Uh, Spark Toro. This is from Rand Frischkin. Marketing personas are almost always a boondongle. Uh, and in short, it's, I don't even want to say it's a boondongle. I think it's something that we tend to forget. Um, you may or may not know this, but I have a master's degree in internet marketing, public relations, and business intelligence. So three master's degrees. Um, and I have a certain personality trait that let's say Alex probably doesn't have. My personality type is one is one where Alex's personality type is another. And Alex, audience member Alex, he could have certain criteria, certain ways or certain processes in his personality that help him to make a buyer decision, which may or may not be completely different than mine. Um, and so you have to categorize that stuff and you have to kind of know that stuff before you go uh, into a market if you want to increase your success. You can blindly just go into a market and, and ta-da, and, and, and hope to convert and, and play around with the conversions and CRO a little bit. But if you do this in advance while you're doing your keyword research, you actually save yourself a whole lot of time. Uh, as an example, if you're an SEO agency, and I talk SEO agency because I know SEO agency the most, um, but this could apply to anything. If you're an SEO agency and you want to niche down to do cosmetic surgeon SEO only, you have to understand that you are dealing with super A personality types. Most of them are very versed in marketing. Most of them are very versed in marketing, um, both digital and old school marketing, and can tie those two together. Uh, and a lot of them have to be convinced to come to you uh, as an SEO agency, not by, oh, I can rank and get you a whole bunch of leads. And their response is going to be, well, no crap. I can do that myself. What do I need you for? Your your approach to those people would have to be more analytical. Here's the data. Here's the numbers. Here's what I can do. Here's how I can do it. Here's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, by the way, if you're thinking about going after cosmetic surgeons, you better have some PPL sites going and have all kinds of numbers and prove that you know that market a hand upside down and sideways um, before you can even try. Unless you find a rookie. Um but marketing personas allow you that head start. So you know that in advance uh, before you start going after those clients. 
Um, so check out this thing. It's Ram Fishkin. It's actually pretty good. There's some different tables and stuff in here. These all work pretty well. Um, the tables concept, I actually just use paragraph format and kind of just write out who my person is uh, and, you know, just make some generalizations and stuff. I don't use all of this data in this way because it's convoluted. Um, I want to narrow it down uh, a little bit farther than what he's done, but you have to get this data in order to get to that paragraph level that I'm talking about. So um, check this post out, and then maybe if there's some interest, I'll do a um, an episode on how to do this buyer persona stuff. Marketing syrup. Uh, Google Search Console live images loading, lazy loading case study. As I alluded to, there's a lot of content right now. The May um, core update or supposed core update where there's going to implement the core web vitals and it's going to cause a major shakeup. And if your websites are slow, you're going to suck. Um, have brought out a lot of this content. And so... What I liked about this, and the only reason I'm sharing it, is she has approached it in a completely different way, i.e., hey, that's awesome that you have implemented lazy loading, but guess what happens if you do it during JavaScript wrong? (laughs) And the answer is Google doesn't index your images. And she goes through in here how to diagnose that. Look at the code. You don't even have to be super codey. I'm actually not entirely versed on javascript beyond jsonld um but you can look at this and kind of figure out is your lazy loading system whatever you're using a plug-in or it's built into your websites is that going to be ignored by google or not uh, and it would be this is good for you all of you especially if you're in caught up into the core web vital craze which uh, supposedly is going live in may Next is how to use data visualization in your content to increase readers and leads. Um, I wanted to show this just because it's from a data visualization perspective instead of the normal build an infographic. And once you have this infographic and you post it and you give it out, you're going to go viral and build a whole bunch of backlinks naturally. Well, that's a complete and utter nonsense. Um, you might get lucky, but for the most part, the only backlinks you're going to get is when you submit your image, uh, your infographic to infographic sharing sites. Uh, and maybe occasionally if you do some email stuff, like occasionally I get people that um, reach out to me and ask me if I want to share their graphics, and I have no problem doing with that, and that's another way that you guys can do that too. Um, or just if you want more graphics to write about and stuff. But for the most part, these things are actually really easy to create, and there's plenty of people that can find them for you, uh, find the data for you and put something this together, or you can just do it yourself and open up uh, Microsoft Power VI, Tableau, and there's a couple other ones that you just pump in there and just make yourself a nice little, you know, Get a infographic if you want to, for the lack of a better word. Like, look, this is a map thing. That's Tableau. Tableau can do that. Here's graphs. You can do that really quick inside of um, Power BI. You can do it in Excel. Here's a plot. You can do this in Tableau. That's a little bit more um, work because there's images inside the plot, but you can you kind of get it. And then bar graphs and, and pie charts and, t- and tables, those are all, like, 
stupid easy, right? Uh, as a side note, Google likes tables. If you put a table in HTML code inside of your web pages, the likelihood that it shows up as a snippet is a lot much higher than if you have it in any other format. So I would try that. Uh, and then the infographics thing, it's kind of the same now. All of these are really all infographics now. There's different types, scatter plots, tables, all that stuff. However, um, pretty much at the end of the day, it's all the same. Uh, there's some extra tools in here too if you want to mess around with that and check those out. But really at the end, at the easiest one you probably already have is um, uh, charts. I mean, not charts. Um, well, yeah, charts. You can do PowerPoint or um, Keynote. Excel or Google Docs or Microsoft Power BI or Data Studio. Uh, they'll all create these things for you and you can um, just have, it just adds a little bit more pizzazz to your websites. Here's an extra bonus. Go to Pinterest in your market and see if you can find infographics that are being shared a lot. And then find some of the older ones that, could use some updating and essentially you're not necessarily copying them, but you're copying them uh, and update them with the right information that is current to the times and then share that in the same places that the Pinterest was. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with the amount of traffic you get from Pinterest alone. Um, that's a, that's a really good uh, tip right there. You guys should implement. Okay. SEO clarity. How to hack content creation brief uh, with SEO-friendly content brief. It's a, it's a really long title for it. Here's this free content brief template. Um, there's plenty of software, phrase, market muse um, that make content briefs. And the short version is it's just they go out and they scrape all the content on the Internet and throw it together using, air quote, AI uh, and then uh, put that together in some kind of format that says, ta-da, here's a content brief. Well, you can do that yourself um, with a Google Sheet. The uh, agent here, he made one. Uh, it's a Google um, Sheet, <laughs> and you just make a copy of it as soon as you click this button here. Uh, and essentially all you're doing is, here's a title, summary, some questions I want to ask, some keywords and stuff. Uh, it's stupid simple. Uh, and it's probably the same level as you get from just going to phrase and pushing a button, uh, to be honest. But it, it, the difference is phrase, you got to edit out, and then content brief here, you got to put in kind of on your own. Um, the, uh, the value of doing this while you're doing your keyword research is let's say you're building out an affiliate site and you know that your project, you want this project to, um, I don't know, you're doing remote control helicopters, for example. So you're only going to do articles about remote control helicopters, and you can actually do your keyword clustering, your topic clustering, identify your silos, and then write all your content briefs out before you even build the website. And then you can plan that all out in a calendar for you know one week or month or a quarter or a year if you want to and have those already done. Uh, so all your work's done in the initial part. You design the website and then start handing those out to writers and get your content in on a regular basis for publication, uh, and you're off to the races. So there's no need for tools if you don't want to use them. Uh, this content brief is actually pretty decent. I have some changes I want to make to it, and then maybe I'll share my version uh, with the SIA community. Graph theory 
based internal linking. Uh, I was talking about a business partner. It, you guys may, may or may not know him, Ms. Muhammad. Um, he is uh, in New Zealand, and he helps. He helped me with Rank Gear. Uh, he's one of the probably the only people that could actually help me out. If you know, I was building, trying to build SaaS now for two years now, and I've lost like fifteen thousand dollars in devs that said, "Oh yeah, I can do that." I can't. Muhammad um, actually hooked that all up but he's stupid smart and he's got degrees in machine learning uh and all this stuff um so i actually had to give this to muhammad and say did i miss something in here because there's two articles it's the bot press article and then a medium article and basically what they're doing is they're saying that they use graph theory to identify orphan pages on their website or pages that are low in their silo. Um, and typically the practice is, you know, I want you to be three clicks from the homepage. Frankly, whether that's necessary or not, I'm not too sure. But um, that being said, orphan pages is kind of a big deal. So what I wanted to know is, well, how did they do it? So I'm sharing this one because if you want to do a case study and you don't put the how you did it, you're kind of a douche. Um, the other SEOs, and, and this is just in the SEO market, other SEOs are going to be like, well, how did you do it? How, what are the steps? Step one, step two, step three, step four. And then the client's going to go, graph theory, WTF. Um, oh, you're linking my pages together. Okay, how did you do, it? How did you do that? And there's not any of that how to in here they're just oh we did graph theory we're so smart and because we did graph theory we put it all together and and now we're you know only two percent of the pages are orphan pages you know but you know we're smart so that's what we did like what is the value of it i I see in in this case in this case study i don't see the value out of this graph theory what does that mean what did you do all right so we go on to their supporting article and it gets a little bit better. This one's actually got pictures. I understood the pictures even a lot better than I understood the super nerd. Like this was written by a intellectual who legit does graph theory stuff. And I kind of get what they're what they're talking about. So you have the home page and the the deep pages and the orphan pages, right? And then you come down here and you say, all right, so I can interlink using graph theory by finding these trends. So if my page is about Paris and I have a page about Berlin and New York and Amsterdam and I want to tie in the travel from all that stuff, I can use... I'm going to say they're almost entities, right? A bus is a thing. A train is a thing. A flight is an event. Uh, a, tra- a train again. And then these are tied together with entities. They're not tied together with keywords. So this topic of a train um, is pointing to this topic of Paris. So I have the train trip to Paris is my topic, right? My flight from New York to Paris is my topic. My bus trip from Paris to Amsterdam is my topic. My keywords are Paris, New York, and traveling, right? It's probably traveling is going to go with that. Go with that. It's a travel website. Um, and I'm instead of every instance on my website saying, um, Paris, 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 and all those links going back to Paris. They're linking it back with how you're going to get there. New York flight to Paris, a Berlin train to Paris. It's 
get it? Uh, and they're finding the, those associations, those topics inside of the content, uh, supposedly using um, graph theory. Um, I looked this, like the readme file of LinkPy, and if any of you guys are smarter than I am, can you tell me where the hell the readme file of LinkPy is? The closest I got is PyLinks. Um, and, and the reason why is, is the idea behind what they're doing is cool. And we have the devs to actually do it. But where's the how? Where's the nuts? There's the nuts and bolts. And, and my my buddy, Mohammed, he read this, and the nuts and bolts aren't there. It's like, all right, this I we get what he was trying to do, what they were doing. We get that they used graph theory, but how do they do it? And they didn't put any of that in here. So there's a lot of super nerd in here. There's a lot of ideas in here, but at the end of the day, it's linking orphan pages to your topics and stuff using entities uh, and interlinking them to formulate topics. Um, travel in London, trains from Berlin, travel to London. See, travel to Berlin, trains to Berlin. Train from train to Paris from Berlin. Flight from Paris. Flight to Paris. Train to Amsterdam. Get a bus to Amsterdam. Get it. So um, it's something that we could do. Just got to know a little bit more information to crack this nut. And I think maybe this is it. I'm not sure. Pie links. I'll come back and look at that after the episode and see if that's it. But if any of you can look at that that article, read these two articles, and kind of point me in the right direction. We probably get a tool made to do that for you all. Alrighty. Let's see. GSQI. How do you use Search Console stats to look at crawl stuff, especially when you're doing domain changes and URL migrations? So it's domains, URL migrations, and if you're just changing uh, URLs, sometimes your crawl gets a little jacked up. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep in this, but essentially Glenn shows you how to use the new crawl stat report to pull a little bit of information out of there uh, and let you start the hunt to fix broken links and redirects, etc. The data in here, I mean, if Google's showing it, you you have to check it out. You got to pay attention to it. But uh, I think I've talked, talked before about the my thoughts on the quality of data inside of search console and how it's not necessarily to be trusted for a lot of things so go in there if you see crawl errors check it out if it's not there then move on your happy way um, but if it is at least you got a little bit of heads up uh, a better way to check that is to run site bulb and or screaming frog i kind of like to do both when i first take over a website just to see if I get identical issues um, showing up, uh, and that makes it easier to prioritize. Um, but Search Console is there for you, too, if you want to try it out. Woo. Uh, let's see. Last article. It's a the role of SEO in news. Uh, if you're already familiar with SEO, I would just scroll down to the bottom of this. And is actually talking about um, news SEO, i.e. you have a news website and you have to consider SEO implement, implement, implementations inside of your website in order to get as much out of it as you can. Uh, understanding that a lot of search traffic for news stuff is really like 
24, 48 hours, and then after that is toast, right? Unless it's a, a really deep thing or you're a Democrat and you hate the current president, and then you can write about that topic for four years straight. Um, but if you are um, in news, if you're a news publisher and you don't know all of the ins and outs of SEO and stuff, you have an SEO team, you're not entirely sure about how they explained it, and you just have a couple more questions. If they're not getting you, or maybe you're just having a little trouble with the communication, uh, this is will be a really good article for you. On the flip side of that, if you're an agency, you might want to consider copying this and turning it into an email series because it really does walk things through um, in regards to what the hell is going on in an SEO campaign. Uh, and I think this would make it actually a good 10, 15-day series just talking about some things. Hey, we're doing this and this and this and this and this. And so people understand um, that you're doing something. And that's really important when you have, when you're in that, um, that first 15 days uh, time period with the client, right? So those, that's when they get scared and they want um they want a little they want a little help a little love uh and, and making sure that they made the right decision and having those email campaigns in place will kind of make that uh, a little bit easier for them to to work out all right and that's the news uh this week 30 minutes that took me quite some time uh which is good because uh i've talked about the topic for today, keyword siloing, before we looked at um, keyword Cupid, and we looked at the uh, the mind map output that they have. That's the one that I primarily showed off, and I didn't show off the uh, spreadsheet. And I'm not promoting keyword Cupid, one, because they don't have an affiliate um, program, so eh. <laughs> but it's um so i don't want to come across that way is uh that i'm promoting it but i, I do want to talk about the concept of keyword clustering um and how that is actually being confused with the concept of topic clustering people are they're being used interchangeably and when that happens, what I've seen is people that are using them interchangeably are actually having a reduced amount of success um, from either one of them because they're they're intermixing them and they're diluting the value of their pages um, and in so reducing the effectiveness of their silos and so reducing the effectiveness of their SEO. And they need more backlinks at that point, right? Um, so I want to kind of clear the air on that. Uh, you may agree with me. You may not. If you don't agree with me, I appreciate that. Just kind of, you know, help me out and understand, um, your perspective. Uh, and, um, so with that, I think I'll give you mine. So... Let me ask, answer your question first from Sean. Do you have your own PBNs or you buy them from service providers? Mix of both. Um, I find that having my own has its own set of challenges. Uh, and I.e. maintenance 
And I don't have a whole lot of time for my own stuff. That's why Digital Ear doesn't get promoted all that much. Uh, Rank Gear still waiting on the sales page. Uh, SIA, you know, if we didn't have a team over there and they were just depending on me to promote that business, holy crap, we'd be hurting. Um, I just don't have time for it. So I tend to buy links from providers or do outreach um, in that order before I build my own PBNs. I will build PBN networks if I'm, you know, monitoring, playing around domains. Like once a quarter I get a wild hair and go look at domains or something like that. Then I'll look at it and say, oh, I can put a site on that and build that out. However, I don't do that um, very much. So I'd say my PBN network's actually pretty small compared to most people's. Um, Also... The problem with my theory is I have this great big list of hopes and dreams in my registrar's accounts that are not doing anything. I got some old-ass domains in there that I bought brand new, and they've just been sitting ever since I started doing SEO. So um, it's, um, like I said, it's a mixed bag. I just don't have time for it. If you got time to manage your PBNs, you got a team that can keep those up and, and do those and, and make sure that they're paying for themselves and stuff, then go for it. Um, otherwise, um, just buy them. Save yourself the drama. Other people have the patience, time, and the teams to do that stuff. Um, okay, let's see. All right, let's go to keyword clusters. What do you say? Um... I don't know how I want to do this. Well, I had an idea. I'm going to show off one. Let's go with this. So first, this is a spreadsheet. I just picked the random term um, in the small business market. And I did a data pull from Ahrefs, and then I threw that into Keyword Cupid, and in Keyword Cupid make these uh, keyword clusters. Notice I didn't say topic clusters. Everyone talks about, oh, this is topic clusters. And even Keyword Cupid's um, internal internal um, definitions kind of lead you to believe that you're doing uh, topic clusters, right? But what they're built out to do is actually keyword clusters. Uh, and the difference is a topic cluster is going to be your silos, and the keyword cluster is your page. So I'm doing a page on 8-inch tablets. I'm just going to put the plural on there because I want to. The keywords, supporting keywords, in that article that should be there are going to be the best 8-inch tablet, uh, these different variations, right? So... Google is sending traffic to these. I know that because I filtered the Ahrefs list. Each one of these is getting traffic, but they are on target with my primary term, 8-inch tablet. So these keywords, this cluster of keywords will be in this page. Thus, I'm leveraging the keyword cluster to rank this page. You do not take this keyword cluster and turn it into a silo. You don't do that. You put this in your page. Um, and that's uh, the primary difference with topics because an 8-inch tablet is part of a topic, right? So what is it What is it about? It's, it's, it's about 
tablets. So um, let me show you. I want to show my face. There you go. All right. <clears throat> Sorry. Let's show you topic. So my topic is tablets. Um, and you can narrow that down a little bit more. Let's go um, office tablet. All right. So office entity tablet entity. The entire thing comes together and it creates a topic. Now I have my um, eight inch tablet page. Eight inch tablet. And that eight inch tablet page talks about those one, two, three, four, five, six variations of that keyword that you saw in the spreadsheet. That keyword cluster. Right? And those keyword clusters could be, or like in in the case of the best eight inch keyword, that'll be a header. So they could be heads, headers. So H2s, three and threes could be those. Or you can just drop them inside of your content in your paragraphs, right? So in content and uh, highlight those, emphasize those with emphasis code or mark or strong. To those who don't know, emphasis and strong makes it look bold and then mark highlights it in yellow. All right, so that's your keyword cluster page. Now, your topic cluster would be 9-inch tablets, 10-inch tablets, 12-inch tablets, 15-inch tablets. Those are all your topics going supporting the overall topic of office tablet, or in this case, best office tablet, because it's a... um, it's a um, affiliate site, right? That's what we're talking about. So each one of these pages will link to the, the primary target, best office tablet. Uh, and these topic clustering pages will build your silo. Thus, now your your website is covering that entire topic effectively. Best office tablet. And there's all your supporting pages. Da, da, da. Okay? So <clears throat> the... So I, I think that needed to be clarified because I don't hear, honestly, a whole lot of people talking about that, talking about the difference. And they're, they're teaching topic um, silos, topic clustering, but they're using keywords to do it. And now there's a new set of SEOs that are creating pages um, that have... Um, There's a new set of SEOs that are creating pages that um, are targeting uh, or creating keyword cannibalization issues, and that's why keyword cannibalization will never go away because these it's being talked in, taught in that manner. And Sam, I hopefully you saw that. Let me turn it back on. I was busy writing and not looking. I think that's as close as I can get. Let me. No. Um, 
Yeah, it ain't getting any bigger, Sam. I apologize. Not really. That's just technology. Sorry, dude. <laughs> um, I could have wrote this on my on my browser, but it's easier to write on the iPad than it is on the uh, on the website. But if it becomes if it's really hard, um, Sam, let me know, and um, I'll see if I can draw something up and put it on the uh, page. Uh, let's see, Alex. Put keyword cluster in each topic silo page. Correct. Uh, so let's go. Let me show that that eight inch tablet thing a little bit better, right? Let me d- delete this, and I'll just write a little bit bigger, Sam. So hopefully that helps, or a little thicker. Thicker. That's what she said. She wants it thicker. There you go. All right, so you have office, oops, tablets, jeez, and I'll put best because just for clarity. All right, so there's your main topic. Your next topic topic is that um, eight-inch uh, keyword, the eight-inch tablet right here, right? So eight-inch tablet, that is your next topic, eight-inch tablet. For that topic, you have to figure out what the um, keywords are, the supporting keywords, because what do you need, right? You need H1, H2, H3, and H4, um, and the other stuff, but for the most part, you need all this stuff. So your H1 is going to be 8-inch tablet. Your H2s and H3s you can get from right here. So um, this is going to be one right here. This is be probably a really good one to hit. Um, so then you would hit here and go best 8-inch tablet and then um there's another keyword in there it's eight inch tablets so you can go um eight inch tablet runner up and then your h4 is going to be eight inch tablet again All right, so of that list that we put together using our keyword research uh, and keyword Cupid, we used 8-inch tablet right there. We used best 8-inch tablet, and then we used uh, 8-inch tablets here. I probably wouldn't use this, but it gets traffic, but I probably wouldn't use it. Um, So... What I can do now inside of the rest of my content is use 8-inch Android tablet, 8-inch uh, tablet, the singular version, uh, is already addressed really, so I don't need to do that, uh, and best 8 tablet. I could actually, you know, kind of play around and pretend like that's a writing error if I wanted to, but Google's actually pretty smart to pick that up. Uh, 
I, but really, I, at the end of the day, I just pretty much use that keyword cluster inside of my um, my entire my page, right, in the outline of my page. So when people are talking about, oh, I'm going to rank for multiple keywords, this is really the best way to do it. Because, one, you're hitting your primary target right there. You're hitting your primary target. And then your outline for your page is there. Uh, and your optimization is already done for you. So if you're writing, uh, creating a list for this, this article would actually be really easy. You have your intro, right? You'd have a review of whatever you wanted to promote the best, and then you put some, um, you know, like three or four alternatives down here, and then you'd have your closer, closing article. And you can probably have a 1,500-word product review made off of that um, that outline really easily. Um, but what if you did it the other way? What if you did it the way people are teaching? And I don't know if they're doing it intentionally. But just, it's just the way it's being taught right now. And if I had an 8-inch page, 8-inch tablet page, right? And then that link to that and that like that. And then because I was taught this way, now I have a best 8-inch tablets page. And then now I have a 8-inch um, tablet for Android. Uh, and then I have eight inch um, tablet. Jesus, tablet for Mac. Let's say, what have I done? I've created keyword cannibalization. So I have four pages on the website all about the exact same thing. And sure, they might be linking up. But if you build silos like I do, they're also linking to each other. And what happens is now you have keyword cannibalization. So Google's like, all right, you have eight-inch tablets, four pages, which one's the best? Well, I don't know. Um, so I'm just going to pick this one. But that's not the one you wanted to rank for that. So now you're mad at Google because your your page that you wanted to rank is not ranking. You wanted it to be this one right here, right? You, this, was your, this was your number one page. Um, but Google's showing this one right here. And you didn't want that. But that's Google's fault. How dare, how dare Google do that? So I'm going to do a canonical link. And, and guess what? Canonicals don't do what you think they do. So that's not going to fix that problem. And then your interlinking is already there, but that's not going to fix that problem because they're all interlinked together like they're supposed to be. And sure, they link to this one, so they might get it. Um, but for the most part, at the end of the day, you're probably going to get stuck with this one. You're not going to make any affiliate commissions because you know way less people are looking for the Android version, for example, than the Mac version, let's just say. Um, and so... That's why you get in trouble when people are teaching 
keyword clusters and uh, calling them topics and then building out silos using keywords, uh, keyword clustering, using keyword clustering uh, instead of using topic clusters. And topic clusters aren't really that hard. Let's get even more simple. It's Let's say you're doing a plumbing site. So your topic, your overall topic is Phoenix Plumbers. I'm a Phoenix Plumbing Company, right? And your services to build your topic cluster is going to be, you're going to have a page about uh, hot water heaters, replacement and repair. You're going to have one about water softeners, replacement and repair, septic tanks, replacement and repair, uh, and maintenance. Um, and then the... The whole con- contractor thing, that's probably a different one, but you could probably put that into a whole new site if you wanted to. But you could put contractor plumbing repair, emergency plumber, 24-hour plumber, and emergency could be the same page. But those are all related topics to the primary topic. Those are, And they're all separate keywords. Uh, and they can build a nice website like that, and that's how you style that stuff out. Um, but if you're doing that with keyword research, and you, you do it the way people are teaching, which is take this keyword, account software free. Here's a different example. Take that keyword. I want to rank for that. Now you have to build silos for, with, for each one of these keywords here to link to that. That's not at all right. At all right. Want to write a page about accounting f- f- software that's free. And then you could put in all of these subtopics in the content and in the headings to collect the rest of those. That's how that works. Okay. <sighs> Any questions? Of course there's questions because you guys are awesome. Uh, let's see. Sean, let's buy yourself a magnifying glass. It works for me. Yeah. <laughs> I have a 27-inch monitor. I get two of them, actually. So I don't feel your pain, Sam. <laughs> Uh, let's see. If so, how do you manage canonicals where you put where the products overlap uh, across multiple topics? That's where you have to decide your structure and if you actually have that right. You know what I mean? So if they overlap multiple topics, you're probably getting into them searching your website. Or you have faceted navigation, and that faceted navigation throws them into multiple things. Um, and the navigation part is not necessarily that bad. The bad part is when you're using um, parameters to change the URLs to fit into that new category, uh, and it kind of dinks things up a little bit for you. Uh, so that's how you, let's say you have um, women's shoes, red high heel pumps okay so you have red high heel pumps and those can fit into women's shoes um then it can go into subcategory of high heels then it can go into another category of pumps i don't know shoes so you can tell uh and so now that page is in three different categories that product is in three different categories sometimes some websites some cms's actually create three different urls for that one it's the exact same product but there's three different URLs, and that's where the parameter stuff comes in. Um, and you, and I know the concepts behind it. I'm just not a, a techno nerd. Um, where it comes to creating um, parameters, and then 
but I know what to do with them afterwards. So once I'm creating them, I have that red high heel pumps page. It's going to have the canonical, and that's the owner of it. Every other reference of it, when it has the parameters in it, my dev is going to teach the website to ignore the parameters part and use the canonical of the main product uh, as the canonical page. And you, hopefully you're with me so far. So it's, and it's, it's ignoring the parameters part and it's identifying this is the canonical. And here's, it's showing up. You can still get to it with this parameter, but here's the canonical and do that. And so Google in turn is supposed to be ignoring the parameters part and going and paying attention to the, uh, the canonical on itself. So that's how you keep that, that multiple product stuff, um, products in categories a, a little bit cleaner. It's the bigger your store is, man. It's, it's kind of a pain. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, the, the more products you have, the more categories you have, the more dreams and wishes of a client you have, the bigger that thing get, get. And then you have Magento's and big commerce, Shopify, uh, Christopher mentioned woo. Um, they all handle those, that search and that faceted navigation and, and the, um, the setup entirely different. So um, at the end of the day, just make sure that Google is indexing the product page and not indexing your search pages or pages that are created by parameter. Um, and then you'll be uh, okay. And, and think of it this way. If that product is listed on a category page uh, multiple times, different categories and different URLs, it's fine. As long as it essentially what it's doing is linking to the same page where that product is at, then you're good to go. Whew. All right. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, I think the problem, this is from Christopher, I think the problem can be deciding where to slice the topics, too broad, too narrow. I would venture to say I've only done too narrow one time, and I've done too broad tons of times. So more often than not, you're going to get into the too broad thing. Um, if you're, you know, local business guys, you know, we all have it pretty easy, right? Plumber's a plumber is a plumber. Um, he's a plumber in Phoenix. He's a plumber in Miami. He's a plumber in Houston. It's not too much you can really say unique about being a plumber. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so that local stuff, you really have it pretty easy when you're talking about e-commerce you can have it easy if you want to so your e-commerce store only sells socks well guess what your primary topic of your website is socks it's pretty easy right men's socks women's socks kids socks baby socks um sleeping socks walking socks sports socks uh, nylon socks, wool socks, you know, you can, that's where you get in trouble, um, is, is busting that up a little bit too much. So, um, and then if you're, let's say you're even in any more, you're in automotive, like Alex mentioned automotives, you have a, your what kind of automotive? So you have car parts, you have parts for trucks. Do you have parts for heavy duty trucks? I, um, 
semis. Do you have parts for light heavy D, light DD trucks, which is a it's not a it's not a dually, it's not a semi, it's like right in between. Um do you sell parts for motorcycles? You know, you can bust that down even farther. Do you sell RV parts? You know what I mean? So your topic, your overall topic of your website is automotive. And then your subtopics are truck, car, RV, and motorcycle. Those are the examples that Alice gave. Um, and then your subtopics of those would be, the, in the truck case, for example, would be tires, um, engine, uh, bed, towing. Um, you could do it that way if you wanted to. Um, in the cars, you could do headlights. Um, I guess in trucks, you can do headlights too, or, you know, body. I would probably do body, right? So body. Body would have my quarter panel parts, my um, headlights, marker lights, taillights, uh, bumpers, that kind of stuff. Engine would have pretty much everything that's in the engine component. Electronics would have all my sensors, relays, and all that madness. Uh, tires is obvious. Towing would have all my towing accessories. And then you can go one farther if you wanted to and do bed and sell like your your um, tough enough shells or the the stupid what is it the Laramie cover that closes off the bed or toolboxes and stuff like that cars you can go pretty much the same way um, but you just got to be um, careful with that stuff right so um, and expect that um, just don't go crazy with it and you're gonna be okay I, we did an episode on SEO Fight Club or I think it, maybe it was even here. In SEO this week with Ted Kubitis, and, and he, if you guys don't know, he was working with a Fortune 500 e-commerce site, and he built that thing up um, and um, ranked it for years. Um, so a lot of my insights come from Ted because the, the dude was working for, I won't say it's as big as Amazon, but it's not as small as Craigslist. Let's go that way, right? Um, so... And one of the topics that he mentioned is just don't get crazy with your product names and your categories, and you'll see a whole lot better result. So if you have a um, an orange T-shirt, don't call it sunshine, burnt sunshine, and expect to get SEO <laughs> um, efforts out of that because no one in their right mind, well, maybe a stoner, would be looking for the burnt sunshine colored T-shirt like one in a billion, um, and you're never going to get traffic off of that, right? So think about that way and with product names and thinking about that way with categories to keep you out of a whole lot of trouble. Uh, you mentioned canonicals. Don't do what you think. Can you expand? I've had Google totally ignore canonicals and next other pages, for example. Yes. Uh, the The idea behind canonicals is, uh, is to say, hey, this page is actually subordinate to or almost a copy of a rewrite or a version of this other page, right? So you have a, a page and then you canonicalize that article to, let's stay with products. You have a product page. It's um, red high heel pumps for women. Um, and you're using dynamic title changing. And instead of, the you know premium red high heel pumps you put web high heel pumps for women 
because that's what the search parameter came, and then your canonical was supposed to link to that premium high heel pumps. That's that's the concept behind it was supposed to be, and Google's supposed to go, all right, so this is the one I'm going to rank. I'm ignoring this one here. The fact of the matter is, Google ignores that too, and you've seen it, and they'll blatantly tell you that inside a search console. Um, oh, you know, the user set the default set a user or what was the message? User sets user set canonical not the right one. How the hell is Google the one to say what is user what what is the right one or not, right? But it does it. It does it on its own, and then that's how your parameter stuff gets indexed, and then you have all kinds of crawl issues and stuff. It's and it, it was designed to say this is the original content, this is the page, this is the one I want you to give credit to, and Google's not using it for that. Um, and I think it's not because they didn't want to use it for that. I think it's because when they had it set that way. That was really a big door for negative SEO. Like, I was using that, like, gangbusters for reputation management. You just put someone's website in, you set the canonical wrong, and set some adult stuff on it, you could take a page down and within, you know, 24 hours. And Google will fix that, um, that thing. And I don't think canonicals are as, as important as people are claiming they are. And But um, setting up your parameters and making sure that Google is not indexing those and only in indexing your primary URLs is the fix to that, in my opinion. Let's see. Alex Rulius. Damn, I was just thinking interior and exterior. I <laughs> ideas things. Yeah. Yeah, see, you can you can do it ever, right? You can do interior and exterior if you want to. But the problem there's as my example kind of showed you have exterior, you have all those other exterior parts. It kind of messes it up versus you have interior. That's what are you thinking? Dashboard, steering wheels, seatbelts, uh, upholstery, carpet, speakers, which, you know, the speakers could fit into electronics if you wanted to. So you just got to really be smart when you're creating your, um, your categories. Because my guess is it sounds like Christopher can attest that that crap can get out of control once you get a really big website. The biggest one I ever did was 78,000 products. Um, and that was a nightmare because it wasn't, um, canonicals weren't set. The parameters were being indexed and the bot was crawling all over the place, but nothing really important that we wanted to be indexed was being indexed properly. Uh, and then when you try to update, that CMS, that was a whole nother nightmare. Like six months to fix meta descriptions because they were all duplicates and junk, right? Um, that kind of stuff. Titles, title tags, same same, same thing. So when you're getting into enterprise, enterprise SEO, which is my definition is 25,000 pages or more, you're an enterprise SEO. You have to think of things a little bit differently because you're not scaling. You're not scaling that stuff. You're not writing schema for all that. You're not writing title tags for all that. You're not writing meta descriptions for all that. You're just not doing it. You're not updating all your meta your description product descriptions for all that. You're you're not doing it. You don't have the time and you don't have enough time in the day, and you don't have enough money. And the client's not going to pay you that much to to invest that many people that it would take to do that quickly. Um, so if anyone tells you they're doing schema for 25,000 products for a website, they may be, um, but they're ripping off the people that are paying them to do it because. If you're doing the right schema, you take three or four days to write a template, 
every day you just change that out. You can probably get through 20, 30 products, 40 products a day, taking your time doing the research right and making that schema right. And if you have 25 products, you do the fucking math. You're not doing that, right? Uh, and that's the, that's the case with canonicals and parameters and paying attention to all that because it's, it's, it just <laughs> goes on forever. And that's a war that you got to fight not only with you, but you got to have your dev on your side because your dev can figure out solutions once you do then how to mass scale it across the websites. All righty. I think that's it. So hopefully um, you get some insight out of those articles that I shared in particular. Uh, I like the Craig Campbell one and the steps of doing the uh, the outreach. My recommendation is you, is you should all have like some kind of SOP and how to do outreach. That way, if you're ready to, once you're ready to, you can outsource that. Uh, if you're not ready to, you can just get a software like um, Link Assistant. Use the filtering inside a Link Assistant. Knock that list down to 50 for one single URL. Uh, and then um, just email out like 10 at a time and until you get your 10 links or whatever you're looking for uh, and per per page and be just be ready to hand it off to a, to a VA um, that you know is not gonna is gonna follow your instructions exactly and increase your success rates on decent websites uh, and I think you you'll be okay with that and then the other one that I think you are should all check out, uh, is the, uh, the lazy loading and see if your plugins are, um, are getting you, <laughs> if your images aren't getting you some traffic and you're looking in there and you can't find them in the search engines and you have lazy loading set up, you might have to fix that. So take a look at that one too. Uh, and then finally we rolled up with the keyword clustering versus topic clustering. I hope I clarified that, you know, honestly, there's not a lot of people who watch this episode and um, I think there's way more people that listen on Spotify and, and uh, Apple, and I appreciate that, but there's not a lot of people uh, compared to the market. And so now you're in the know. When people are teaching that, you can identify uh, what they're trying to tell you versus what they are telling you and how to decipher that and turn that knowledge into something that you can actually find useful. And one last question, and then we'll be on our way. Uh, from your experience running your own agency, this question is from Sam, by the way. Would you say that Facebook ads are easier to sell as a service than SEO? It depends on the market. Um, some markets, it's... Uh, honestly, some markets are just easier to sell PPC stuff in than they, in general than SEO is. And... It is not the fault of the business owners. The business owners hire um, PPC guys, and then they, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do Google PPC. It never works for me, right? You've heard it. Everyone's everyone's heard it. Oh, I don't want to do SEO. It's never worked for me. Oh, I don't want to do Facebook ads. It's never worked for me. The The fact of the matter is um, you have to sell them what they think is going to work for them and then do what does work for them to kind of win them over. Um. Here's a chick. They, they, they bring you in, and you're doing Facebook ads. Let's say you're doing Facebook ads, right? And um, you do all the ads. You're sending on this page. You're not getting any conversions because the page isn't optimized. It's either not CRO optimized or it just sucks. 
you upsell into the CRO stuff, you get that fixed, you get good results, and you say, oh, by the way, while I was doing the CRO, I just happened to do some of the SEO stuff here, uh, and the results are from 20 to you know, 20 to 10, for example. You don't want to get them in page one doing this. Uh, and then you sell them, then you upsell them the SEO. That process is a little bit easier. But it really, at the end of the day, it, comes, it depends on how they come to you. So if your page, your landing page, brings them in the Facebook ads, sell them Facebook ads. Don't sell them SEOs, sell them Facebook ads. And then when they, when oh, do you offer anything else? Then you can bring up SEO, web design, and all that madness. Um, but until then... Focus on what they can you to you for Facebook ads. Um, and final note from Elton. Thanks for explaining the differences of keyword and topic clusters. Always had trouble understanding how to implement them. Good, good. Hopefully you walked away with some good information and then something that's actionable. And with that, everyone, thank you very much for watching. Thank you for coming live. Thank you for listening on the uh, on the podcast, and I appreciate all of you. I hope you all have a great week. This has been SEO This Week, episode 198. We'll see you next week. Bye.